Good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. Good to be back with you. Uh, we have missed you over the past couple of weeks. Enjoyed very much uh, by the grace of God being in Texas, um, but only in small doses. It's good to be back in Brooklyn. So uh, thank God for the blessing to be together. Many of you, uh, we got some who are here for the first time. Want to welcome you. Thank you for being here. Some who haven't been with us in a while who are back with us, and we thank God for your presence as well. Uh, truly, our God is faithful, and that's why we're here to worship uh, together today. Um, we're in the midst of a series of lessons. Uh, this, this year, once a month, we've been looking at uh, some of the fruits of the Spirit uh, from Galatians chapter 5, the passage that was just written to us. And the premise behind these lessons is simply the, the, the simple fact that the only way the Bible says that you can know if someone is filled with the Spirit uh, is not through the gifts of the Spirit, but through the fruit of the Spirit. Um, the only way to know for certain that a person is filled with the Spirit or that a church is filled with the Holy Spirit uh, is not through gifts, but through fruit. Uh, I want to share one other text um, before we uh, get into our specific fruit that we're going to talk about today. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. We've looked at this text before. I want us to notice again uh, some of the some of the truths that Jesus emphasizes in Matthew chapter seven. That just to stress and to emphasize this overall idea that we've been looking at um, uh, of the importance of the fruit of the spirit. Look at Matthew chapter seven. I want to start reading in verse fifteen. We're going to read from verse fifteen down to verse twenty-three. Matthew chapter seven. Verse 15, beginning. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? And in your name, perform many miracles. And then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So this is one of the places where Jesus talks about uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, he doesn't use that exact phrase or that exact language, but he's talking here about the idea of fruit. You can know the kind of person someone is by the fruit that they produce. And one of the points, one of the really sobering and scary points that Jesus makes here is that there are actually going to be people out there who may prophesy in the name of Jesus, who may cast out demons in the name of Jesus, who may do great things of God in the name of Jesus. And yet Jesus will declare to them on that last day, I never knew. you." That's a scary thought that someone could have gifts that appear to be from the Holy Spirit. They could, they could be doing great things of God that people in the world would look at and say, wow, look at how God is working through that person. And then that person stands before God on Judgment Day and the Lord says, depart from me. I never knew you. 
Think about this. It's impossible for us to have incredible gifts of God, but still be devoid of the Holy Spirit. And for that reason, it's important for us to focus on what Jesus focuses on, which is every good tree bears good fruit. Far more than the effort I give to pursue the gifts of the Spirit, I ought to be using all of my strength and all of my effort to produce the fruit of the Spirit. By our fruit, the world will know us and they will know who we truly are. So with that in mind, we've been looking at various fruits of the Spirit listed here in Galatians chapter 5. We've talked about love. We've talked about joy, peace, patience, kindness. Last month, we looked at goodness. And today, I'd like to talk to you about faithfulness. We want to look at what does the Bible teach us about faithfulness. Uh, And I want to do this in three parts, uh, as I often do. Uh, First, we're going to look at the faithfulness of God in Scripture. Then we're going to look at the need for faithfulness among his people. And finally, we'll talk about how to become faithful as as his disciples and what does faithfulness look like for disciples of Jesus. So first, I want us to talk about God's faithfulness. And honestly, there's no better place to begin because as I said at the beginning, that's why we're here. We are here today not because of how great the people sitting next to us are. We are here today because of how great God is and has been in our life. The faithfulness of God is a theme that is stressed from the beginning of Scripture until the end of Scripture. God is faithful. And honestly, we don't have to read the Bible to know that. Some of us have lived it. We've seen times when we deserve to be left alone, when we deserve to be abandoned. We've seen times where God had every right and every reason to give up on us, to just leave us in the sins that we had we had entrapped ourselves in, and yet God is faithful. Praise God that he is a faithful God. And the Bible warns us about something that I want to say here at the beginning. The Bible warns us that no one except God is fully faithful. No one except God is fully faithful. You might recall in the beginning of the Gospel of John that Jesus entrusted himself to no man because he knew what was in man. That didn't mean that Jesus didn't love people. That didn't mean that there weren't at least even senses in which Jesus would trust people. Think about he entrusted his disciples with all kinds of things. But he did not entrust himself to man because he knew what was in man. And I say that to say this. Uh, If we are going to become faithful people, it must begin with fixing our eyes on God because God alone can teach us how to be fully faithful. No one except God is fully trustworthy. And I'm going to use those terms interchangeably today, faithfulness, trustworthiness, because those that has the same idea is behind that. Some of your Bibles will translate some of the passages that we look at faithful. Some of them will translate different depending on your translation, trustworthy. Because it comes from the same, same word. But the faithfulness of God uh, is a primary theme in Scripture. Even when man is unfaithful, God remains faithful. We read that this week uh, or this month if you've been reading Timothy and Titus. Uh, even when we are unfaithful, God himself remains faithful still. And I want to suggest a few things about God's faithfulness just for us to reflect on for a moment. Uh, what do we know about the faithfulness of God and how does that manifest in the world and in our lives. First of all, uh, it manifests in this way. The faithfulness of God means that God always does what he says he will do. Isn't that true? God always does what he says he will do. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19 
God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said and he and has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Do you see that? God is not man. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change his mind. God always does what he says he will do. He is faithful. Secondly, God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. And one of the signs of the faithfulness of God is that there has never been a promise that God has made that God has not kept. God has proven himself faithful time and time again. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and in verse 9, Moses writes this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. He is a faithful God because he keeps his covenant and he keeps his promises. Uh, some of you know that me and Ben this week have been writing a, a, a long paper um, or trying to. Uh, and uh, in Joshua chapter 21, I came across this text as I'm writing this paper on uh, Sabbath rest. Uh, I came across this text that really impacted me this week in Joshua 21 and verse 45. Uh, it said this, not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All of them came to pass. Isn't that a beautiful truth? Not one of the promises that God made to the house of Israel failed. All of them came to pass. That's Joshua 21 and verse 45. Later on in 1 Kings 8 and verse 56, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. The promises of God are a theme throughout Scripture. And some of God's promises, even today, have not yet come to their greatest fulfillment. They have not yet been fully fulfilled yet. Which leads some people to say, well, where is God? You know, uh, if, if Jesus is coming back, what's he waiting for? You remember Peter having to address this in 2 Peter where he said, hey, the Lord is not slow about his promises, but he's patient, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Some people say, well, God hasn't fulfilled all of his promises. Well, this is the thing. Some of God's promises are, yet, are, are about the future. And it is true that they haven't come to fruition yet. But if we look at the past, and we look at what God has promised to do in the past. Every time God made a promise, God kept his word. Not one of the words that God promised to his people failed. Every single promise came true. And that's a beautiful, beautiful truth. Because, you know, sometimes people will fail you with promises. Uh, I remember uh, I was re recalling this this week. Uh, about a year ago, I did a lesson on, the, on love trust. And uh, after the lesson, I think in the lesson, I made a promise that I was going to follow up that lesson sometime soon with a lesson on trustworthiness and talk about how love is not love, not only trust, but love is trustworthy. Uh, I made that promise, uh, I think, to all of you, which led Marina to come to me and say, hey, I'm really looking forward to that second lesson. Well, here it is a year later. Um, I don't know if I can still say it was soon after, um, but a year later, here it is. Uh, we're talking about faithfulness. Sometimes people will fail you with their promises. Uh, I was reminded while I was in Texas uh, by a friend of mine about a promise that I made eight years ago. And I never fulfilled it. 
And she reminded me that I had never fulfilled the thing that I promised. I didn't even remember promising it. Um, sometimes people will do that to you. They fail you with promises. Uh, but God will never fail you with his promises. And that's a beautiful, beautiful truth. Um, all right. So God always does what he says he will do. God always keeps his promises. The faithfulness of God also is manifested in this, that he always speaks the truth. Now, we already read in Numbers 23 that God is not man that he should lie. God does not lie. But it's important for us to recognize that when God speaks something, it is true. Because God is faithful, his words are true. And that is irrespective or, or irregardless of any circumstance that we may be going in that may seem like an exception to the rule. Psalm 19 and verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God's testimony is sure. It's certain. His words are true. They are always true, even when sometimes they may appear to us that they are not. God always speaks the truth. And then fourthly, um, God keeps his promises. He'll do what he says he will do. He speaks the truth. Fourthly, God is faithful, and we see it in the fact that God is always ready to help in our time of need. Do you remember Psalm 46? I love this psalm. Such a beautiful, beautiful psalm. Listen to how it begins. Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1. I want to read the first five verses so that if you don't know the song, hope this psalm, hopefully you can write it on your heart. Psalm 46 and verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. I love this psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. But the psalm goes on to talk about how often it doesn't look like that. Sometimes the mountains are falling, slipping into the heart of the sea, heart of the earth, and the waters are roaring and foaming. The waves seem to be crashing over your head. Sometimes in life, the mountains are quaking, and it seems like everything in life is falling apart. But in those moments, even in those moments, when morning, dawn, when morning dawns, God is still there helping. Sometimes we're covered in darkness and it's hard to see that God is truly faithful. But just like darkness only lasts for the night and the sun comes up in the morning, in the same way, sometimes when we're going through hardships and trials, it may appear as if God has abandoned us, as if God has left us. But the truth is God is still there. And even if the clouds have blocked him from our view, God is still there a very present help in times of trouble. And we know that God is faithful because he is always ready to help. Uh, we've been reading together from the book of 1 Corinthians on Sunday nights and Thursday nights. Uh, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and in verse 17, no temptation, no trial has overtaken you except what's common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted or tried beyond what you're able, but with the temptation or the trial, he will provide a way of escape. God is faithful. And God is faith, God's faithfulness is manifested through this fact that he is always there to help us in times of trouble. 
And I don't know what troubles you're going through right now. I mean, I know some of our troubles. I know my troubles. I know some of yours. Um, but probably all of us have various troubles, various times of trials. Maybe right now it's sunny in your life. Uh, but probably there's somebody sitting close to you that, that is the, the clouds have uh, darkened and, and the rain seems to be falling. Um, all of us have seasons and moments in life where we go through hardships and trials. And it's important for us to remember in those moments that even though I may not see it and see the specific manifestations of it, I may not see my prayers answered exactly how I want them to. I may not see God working exactly how I wish I would, but God is still there. He's still present and he's still working. And I know that because of the history of God's faithfulness. In fact, the greatest demonstration of God's faithfulness is in the cross. We're here to, to today to celebrate, to remember what God did for us on the cross. And I want you to think about this. When God promised it all throughout scripture that he was going to fix everything that man messed up, that he was going to fix everything that, that we ruined, that he was going to send his son and that suffering servant of Isaiah 53 was going to suffer and be crushed for and, and, and he was going to bear the iniquities. He was going to take our sins upon him. When Isaiah wrote about that in Isaiah 53, he didn't see the manifestation of that. He didn't get to see the fulfillment of that, but we have. We have seen the faithfulness of God when God sent his only son. Remember what Paul would write in Romans chapter 8 and in verse 31. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Think about this. The hardest promise ever that God made, the hardest promise for God to keep that he ever made was the promise of sending his son to the cross. And God has already kept that promise. God has already proven himself faithful in the most difficult promise he has ever made. I want to tell you, that's the food that will strengthen our faith in the promises that are yet to be fulfilled. Many of us are longing for promises of God to be fulfilled in our life, character to be transformed, the fruit of the spirit to be alive and active. Many of us are wishing we had more faithfulness and more love and more gentleness and kindness and patience. I know I am. But what motivates me to keep trusting God and to keep obeying God in the midst of all the things, all the promises that are not yet fulfilled is knowing what God has already fulfilled. That the most difficult promise God ever made, he has already kept when he sent Jesus to the cross. What a great blessing that is. And I want to tell you that becoming a faithful person, having the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness in your life begins here with feeding on the faithfulness of God, feeding on God's faithfulness. God is faithful. And praise God that we can come together and celebrate that today. Now, let me talk for a moment about the need for faithfulness. Um, and I just want to say a few things about this. I'm not going to spend much time on this. But um, first of all, if we are God's people and God is faithful, if we are children, humans, made in the image of God, then part of being renewed to his image is becoming faithful as God is faithful. Does that make sense to you what I'm saying? Yeah. We, we talk about this a lot, but, but this is so important. God made us to be in his image. Through sin, we and our disobedience and our rebellion, we fell short of his image and glory. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Yeah. 
But what God is doing through Christ Jesus, he didn't just send Jesus to die and wash away our sins. He sent Jesus to die and wash away our sins so that we could be transformed into new people made in his image again. So what that means is that since God himself is faithful, we as his children must also strive to be faithful as he is. This is how we show the world that we are children of God. Even more importantly, this is how we show the world that God really is faithful. By letting him work in us to make us become faithful like him. As we live out faithful lives to God, we show the world that we are truly his children. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul stressed this idea that it's required of stewards that one be found trustworthy or one be found faithful. What does God want from his stewards, from all the things he's entrusted us with? What does he want us to do with it? He wants us to be faithful with it, to use it in the way that he's called us to. So we see here this principle that we must be faithful in using the time, the energy, the money, and the gifts which we have been entrusted for the glory of God. But there's a lot of challenges with being faithful, especially in our world today. We do not live in a society or in a world of faithfulness. And man, I could talk about this all day, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to give you a few examples. We do not live in a very faithful society. Think about, uh, think about divorce rates. They're not exactly low, right? Um, they're pretty high. Uh, there's a, there, it's hard to find people who will stay faithful to another person. For life, while we were in Texas, we got to celebrate Lindsay's parents' 40th wedding anniversary. There's not a lot of celebrations of that anymore. Thank God for that. But there's not a lot of a lot of people celebrating that many years together. Um, think about fatherless homes. How many homes lack a dad in the home? How many people uh, grew up not having one of their parents close by, uh, being raised by an auntie or by a grandparent? Um, think about uh, uh, man this one this week, uh, sports clubs. Think about this. Sports clubs who benefited from players for, for years, even decades sometimes, will just abandon them when they're no longer useful to them. Uh, just for another guy, you know? Uh, that's not just true in sports. That's true in jobs. Think about how many older people who've been loyal to a company for decades working for them. When they get older, the, the companies just abandon them before they have to pay them pensions and retirement. I mean, this is not always true, but it's often true. They'll abandon them in, their, in the time where they need the job the most. Uh, think about um, even how people view church today. A lot of people view church as a shopping experience. Let me go from this one to this one to this one, and I'll go to this one for this, and I'll go to that one for that, and I'll go to the, you know here for this. And, and, and let me just find a let – me, let me go where I can get what I want and what I need. You know, That's the way a lot of people view church. And actually, what, one of the other ways this manifests is as soon as it gets uncomfortable for me in this place – you know, if I have a bad shopping experience, a stop and shop, well, forget that. I'm, I got another I got another store close by. I can go there instead, right? Um, that's the way this works, and, and it works also often that way in churches. People view church in, in such a way. Well, I'm, it's getting hard for me. Let me just go somewhere else. There's not a lot of loyalty in our culture and in our society today. And yet we as the people of God are called to be loyal and faithful and true. Uh, loyal and faithful and true first to God, but then secondly, also faithful to each other. We'll talk about what that looks like uh, in a few moments. But, uh, but we need faithfulness in our relationship. It's hard for a relationship to last if there's no faithfulness. 
You can love can trust all day, but if the other person is untrustworthy, eventually that relationship is going to break down. It gets hard in relationships if there's no trustworthiness, if there's no faithfulness. I want you to ask yourself, those of you who are married, we need to ask ourselves, can your husband, can your wife count on you or do they have a hard time trusting you? Are you loyal and faithful to them to help them to provide for their needs? Uh, brothers and sisters, or how about at school or on the job? Can your boss count on you to do your job and do it effectively? Can your coworkers count on you? Are you the one always helping other people in need? Are you, are, are you the all, are one always making other people pick up your work? Um, uh, what about brothers and sisters? Can your brothers and sisters count on you? Can they count on you to provide to 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 um, prioritize God over everything in this world? Can they count on you to gather when the saints come together? Can they count on you to step up and serve when there's a need and, and you are able to, to meet that need? Can they count on you to keep your word when you volunteer and say, I'll do this. I'll serve in that way. I'll work in this way. We need faithfulness and we need to work on becoming faithful. So how do we do that? And what does faithfulness look like? Uh, let me say something here at the beginning, what faithfulness does not mean in the Bible. Um, when God calls us to live lives that are faithful, he is not doing that, uh, assuming that faithfulness means perfection. It is true that God calls us to be perfect as he himself is perfect. But there's an understanding throughout scripture that it is only by God's grace that we can become perfect. And it's only with God's help that we can become more like him in, in, in character. So let me suggest this. Being faithful is not about being perfect in character and performance. Being faithful is about being worthy of someone putting their trust in you. It's about being worthy of someone trusting you with something. That's what it means to be faithful. And let's talk about this in, in a couple of areas. Let's talk about what it looks like in faithfulness toward God and then faithfulness towards one another. Um, so first, in our faithfulness towards God, uh, one of the places, one of the first places in the New Testament where uh, this word faithful is used over and over and over again is in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and I want to show you a couple places here. Luke chapter 12. Uh, start with me in Luke chapter 12. And I want you to look at verse 35 down to verse 46. Luke chapter 12, verse 35 down to verse 46. Listen to what Jesus says. Uh, Luke 12, beginning verse 35. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third, he finds them so. Blessed are those slaves. Verse 39, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So Peter then said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? Peter wants to know if he's being talked to or if he's being talked about or if it's about somebody else. And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible steward 
whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them the, their rations at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom, the, whom he, his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that, mas if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and eat and drink and get drunk, then the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect it and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with unbelievers. And I want you to think about what this text is teaching us about what faithfulness towards God is. You know, we're tempted to act this way. Maybe you've been this way in the past. I'm sure we've all seen people who are this way. Many people want to say, well, you know, I know I need to be faithful to God and I know I need to do God's work, but... I think I got more time. You know, I can work on faithfulness tomorrow or next week or the year after. I'll work on my faithfulness later on. Do you notice that actually the, the promise of this parable is that if we tempt God in that way, the master will come when you're not expecting it. Actually, what the master is looking for is for us to be faithful when the master's not around. While we're waiting for the master's coming, we keep working to serve God. That's what, that's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness towards God begins here. While we wait for the Lord's return, we keep working. One of the ways that we show that we trust that he is coming back is by continuing to do his work while we wait for him. Uh, John will say this in John chapter 20 and in verse 27, uh, after Jesus is risen from the dead, um, Jesus will say, do not be unfaithful, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Do not be unfaithful, but faithful. The idea is, see the evidence of what God has done, raising up Jesus from the dead, and then use that to live out that trust, believing in him and using that belief to, go, to get busy doing his work. There's another, um, there's another parable that stresses this idea uh, in Luke chapter 16, verses 10 to 12. We're not going to look at that in, in detail, but in Luke chapter 16, verses 10 to 12, we see this principle that he who is faithful in very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Now think about the principle here. Sometimes we say, hey, if you would give me more work to do, then I'll do the work. Like if you give me a bigger role, then I'll be faithful in that role. But right now we have these small roles and we're not actually being faithful in the, little, in, the, in the small roles. Think about the principle here. If I'm not faithful with the little things that God has given me to do, what makes me think that I'll be faithful once he gives me bigger roles? God wants me to be faithful in the smallest ways, in the little ways to show that I'm going to continue to use the gifts that he's given us for his glory. One of the other words that Luke uses over and over again in this, in this, as he's stressing this idea of faithfulness is this word steward. And what is a steward? Steward is like a manager. What's a manager's job? A manager's job is to come in to something that he does not own and then take it and use it for good. That's what a manager does. He may be delegating. He may be organizing people to make sure that everything's working right. But the manager's job is to take something that is not his. He does not own it, and, but use it for good. It's a gift given to him, then entrusted to him to use it for good. That's the idea here. Faithfulness towards God not only works while we wait for the master, but uses his gifts for his glory. Uses the gifts that God has given me for his glory. And I want you to think about what are the talents 
that God has given you. Don't just think about money. If you have money, that's a talent for sure. Uh, and you ought to be using it for God's glory. But don't just think about money. Think about gifts like uh, energy, time, skills. Think about all of those things that the Lord has given you. How are you doing at using them? How are you doing at using them for the Lord and for his glory? Now think about this principle again. He who is faithful in little will also be faithful in much. But if you're unrighteous with little, what makes you think you'll be righteous with much? Don't wait for a bigger role or a greater gift to do God's work. If you're not using the gifts that God has given you now for his glory, what makes you think that God is going to answer your prayer to give you more? Why would God give us more gifts, more talents, more abilities if we're not actually using the gifts and talents and abilities he's already given us to serve him and to glorify his name? All right, faithfulness towards God. Work while the master, while we wait for the master. Second, uh, second, use his gifts for his glory. And thirdly, obey God even when it doesn't make sense. Obey God even when it doesn't make sense. I want you to turn with me just for a moment to Hebrews chapter 10 and 11. Hebrews chapter 10 and 11. Uh, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 23 where he says this to a group of disciples who are thinking about giving up following Jesus. It's just gotten too hard. Life has gotten too miserable. Too many people are against them. There's too many persecutions, too many trials, too many hardships. They've been through a lot already and suffered a lot for the Lord. And they're thinking, man, I can't take much more. Maybe I should just give up. After all, I haven't seen this promise that God keeps talking about. I haven't seen it come to fruition yet. The Hebrew writer writes to them and he says this in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. Listen to what he says. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope firmly. For faithful is the one who has promised. What should the faithfulness of God do for me? Well, it ought to lead me to hold on to him even when life gets really, really hard. To keep obeying him, even when life doesn't make sense. And remember, that's actually, sometimes we think about Hebrews 11, the, we, sometimes people call that the hall of faith. Uh, and we think about that as like something that's its own kind of thing. But actually it's in that, it's in this context that he mentions all these people throughout history who have obeyed God when it didn't make any sense. Remember Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. What a crazy thing. This guy doesn't even know where God is calling him to go, but he's just going to go, even though it doesn't make any sense. Well, why? Why would he do that? Skip down. Uh, skip also down to verse uh, 10. Why did he do it? For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Obeying God even when it doesn't make sense. Do you think it made a whole lot of sense for Joseph to remain faithful to God in Egypt? Why did he do it? He knew the faithfulness of God. 
He knew that God had been faithful to his grandfather. He knew that God had been faithful to his father. He knew the faithfulness of God. Therefore, he continued to be faithful even in the midst of, of many trials and hardships that made absolutely no sense whatsoever. I want to tell you, sometimes life will not make sense. Sometimes life is going to be hard. Trials are going to be real and trials are going to be difficult and life is just not going to make sense. What do we need to do in those moments? Keep holding on to God. Obey God. Faithfulness is not just saying, I believe in Jesus. Faithfulness is saying, I believe in Jesus enough to trust that his promises are true, that his word is truth, even when it makes no sense to me at all. I'm going to trust him anyway. I've seen it in the past. I know what he's done. Therefore, I'm going to hold on to God. And I'm going to hold on to that confession of our hope firmly. For faithful is the one having promised. Remember this, James says this in James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who have loved him. God has promised a crown of life. We haven't gotten it yet, but blessed is the man who will persevere, who will endure even under trial. So once he's approved, he will receive it. God has promises. He's faithful to them. We just got to hold on and hang in there. Let's talk a little for a moment, though, about faithfulness toward each other before we wrap it up. Um, what does faithfulness look like in a collective body of saints? What does faithfulness look like in, among God's people? Uh, you might recall in, in the lesson from a year ago, some of you were, were around, it's been a while. Uh, but I talked in that lesson a little bit about gaps that sometimes get created, uh, gaps in relationships. Uh, for example, I expect you to act this way, but you act a different way. You know, I expected you to do this, but you didn't do that. I, I was hoping you would treat me this way, but you didn't treat me that way. I was hoping you would greet me when I entered the door, but you didn't greet me. You know, sometimes things like gaps come up in relationships. A trustworthy or a faithful person addresses the gaps that they created. All right, let me say that again. A trustworthy person addresses the gaps that they created. When there's a gap I created where somebody's having a hard time trusting me because my actions were not what they expected me to do. A trustworthy person tries to address the gaps that they've created. So let me give you uh, three, I'm going to call these three commitments, three encouragements um, to work on in becoming faithful. All of these I uh, frequently fail in, so I'm giving you that in advance. Uh, do as I say and not as I do sometimes. Um, but may God help me to do better at this. Uh, three commitments of the faithful. The first one is this, um, and these are not original with me, but I think they're helpful to emphasize what the Bible teaches about what faithfulness is. Um, number one, I commit to do what I say I'll do. And when I don't, I'll tell you. All right. I commit to do what I say I do, I, I will do. But when I don't, I'll tell you. That is, you're not going to hear it from anybody else. First, you're going to first hear it from me. And whenever that, whenever these gaps happen in life and somebody's expecting something of me and I don't give them what, I don't deliver for them what, what they were hoping, um, there's at least three options that come up in a situation like that. The first option is I can wait and see 
if I hear from anybody. You know, I promised I was going to do this. I promised I was going to send you that. I'll just wait and see if they text me again or they call me and ask for what they asked for, what I said I would send them, you know? Um, because if I don't hear from anybody, maybe nobody will know that I didn't actually follow through, right? All right, that's an option. Another option is I could lie about it. I could say, well, I actually did do that and you just didn't see it, you know? Well, I actually did, you know, send that email and it, you just didn't get it, you know? Um, I could lie. Um, and then there's a third option. I can tell them the truth. Trustworthiness is not about being perfect. Trustworthiness and faithfulness is about doing what I say I'm going to do. And if I can't fulfill a commitment I've made, and you tell me and you notify, <clears throat> think about this. If, if I can't fulfill a commitment that I've made to you, and I come to you and I say, hey, uh, I'm really sorry. I know I said I was going to do this, but I haven't gotten to it and I can't get it done uh, until, you know, or I just can't do it, period. Um, what does that do to you? Does that decrease your trust in me or does that increase your trust in me? Think about this. When we make commitments and even if we fail to follow through with them, we come and we say, hey, you know what? I know I said I would do this, but I, and I'm sorry I haven't got it done yet or I'm sorry I failed to get it done. But I want you to know I haven't forgotten about it, and, and I'm really I really apologize for that. That doesn't that doesn't that doesn't drive relationships apart. It actually increases the trust because now I know, hey, if I if I ask this person for something, they're either going to do it or at least they're going to be faithful to come back to me and let me know that if they can't do it, that's a trustworthy person. I commit to do what I'll say I'll do, and when I don't, I'll tell you. Uh, all right, related to that, and this one uh, is an even bigger struggle for me. Um, I commit to, to not overpromise and underdeliver. But if that's where it looks like things are heading in my life, I'll tell you. All right. I'm going to do my best to not overpromise and underdeliver. But if it looks like that's where I'm going, then I'm going to come and, and tell you. And again, I want to stress Luke 16, verses 10 through 12 on this being faithful in the little things. All of us hate surprises. At least when the surprise is somebody who didn't didn't do something you were expecting them to do. Nobody likes that. Nobody enjoys that. Um, in fact, you'd like to know in advance if something's going to go poorly. Um, you'd like to you, you'd like to know in advance. Uh, so the truth is that I'm not always going to deliver perfectly on my promises. But if I can't, I can at least let you know right away. I can say, hey, um, this happened. And I'm not going to be able to do what I said I would do. So please, please um, be patient with me. I'll try to get it done or I'm just not going to be able to do it. But I appreciate your, your patience. I commit not to overpromise and underliver. Some of us are good at saying yes to everything. Like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll sign up for that. I'll serve in this. I'll serve in that. I'll do all these things. And then we fail to actually follow through on it um, because we've said yes to everything. But we actually don't have the time to do all these things. Uh, take time. Part of being faithful is taking time to examine, like, how much can I do? How, mu how, many, how many more commitments can I put on the plate? How many, how many more ways can I serve? Maybe I need to take a step back and say, hey, I've overpromised. I need to step back. I need to take some time to recalibrate and get myself focused so that I can be faithful in following through. All right. Lastly, um, three commitments to the faithful. I'm not, I'll, I'll do what I say I'll do. And when I don't, I'll tell you, I'll, I'm not going to overpromise to underdeliver. But if it looks like I'm headed that way, I'll let you know. And then lastly, uh, if you confront me about gaps that I've created, I'm going to tell you the truth. All right. 
If you come to me and you confront me about something I've done that appears to you to be untrustworthy, appears to you to be unfaithful, appears to, appears to you to be failing in some sort of way, if you confront me about those things, I will tell you the truth. Now, sometimes, sometimes people don't want to come and talk uh, about gaps because they're afraid. And I want you to think about this. Uh, sometimes people are afraid to tell us when they fail to keep a commitment because of how they know we're going to respond. Some of us get angry. We get frustrated. You know, we, we, we uh, 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 you know, want to, want to, want to get all upset and angry and we're going to use this as an opportunity to teach that person a lesson. They need to be more faithful, more trustworthy, whatever. And, and, and when that, and when someone is that way, what happens? People start saying, all right, I can't talk to them about this. I know I failed. Let me run and hide. Let me get away from him. All right, sometimes I need to work on me so that people will come and, and, and address the gaps that they have. Um, but it also is true that sometimes the problem is simply that something that I've created. The gap is something I've created, something I've done, something I've failed to do. And if you come and talk to me about that, what should I do? Again, I could lie. I could make excuses. Or I could just tell the truth. And if I'm going to become trustworthy as God is trustworthy, if I'm going to learn to become faithful as God is faithful, I have to learn to become a truth teller. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be truthful. I'm going to be faithful in my word to do what I say I do. And when I don't, to at least tell you the truth. There's more to say about all this. There's a lot of different areas we could have talked about in Scripture where faithfulness is needed among the people of God. Um, but I hope that provokes you to at least be thinking a little bit about faithfulness in your life and in your heart. Um, maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I'm not a very faithful person. Uh, if you are in that situation, I want to share something that has helped me a lot uh, from our reading this month, 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter one. Listen to this. This is Paul talking to Timothy, verse 12. He's speaking about the glorious gospel, verse 11, of, of the blessed God with which he has been entrusted. And then he says in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more abundant, more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. I love this text. Because I want you to think about this. When did God, when did Christ Jesus, our Lord, entrust Paul with his, with his mission? Was it after many, many years in which Paul had proven himself faithful to God to fulfill his work and to do God's will in the world? No. God called Paul when he was a blasphemer. When he was a wicked man who in the name of God was persecuting other people, hurting other people, 
and even killing other people, throwing people in jail and killing. One of the most beautiful things about God is that God is so faithful that he can take unfaithful people like you and me and transform us into people who are trustworthy. He can make us into faithful servants. So maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I got a long history of unfaithfulness. I haven't been able to be counted on. My word is cheap. People know they can't trust me. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm not going to do it. You know, nobody can count on me. It's not too late to change. God, who is faithful, abundantly faithful, is able to take unfaithful people and transform us by his grace into people who are faithful to do his will.